0: All right, good morning. Uh, where are all the kids at today? Can you guys raise your hands up so I can see you? All right, so my first question is a raise your hand question. Raise your hand if you have a light or a lamp in your room. Hopefully, all of you raise your hands. All right. you guys have lights in your room? Okay, so now put your hands down. All right, where is your light at in your room? Sophie, on a bookshelf. Uh, Solomon, on the windowsill. Matthias, on the dresser. Harper, your dresser. Lots of dressers. Under, my bed. under your bed. <laughs> a tall bed. All right. So you have a light under your bed. Interesting. <laughs> I have a short bed, and it's under the bed. Under the bed. How about anybody have a light on their ceiling? Zeke? All right. Ben? Jonathan? Ceiling? All right. So the reason why we're talking about lights is because Jesus, in our passage today, talks about a lamp. And some of you guys are going to be surprised by what he says. Listen, this is what he says. In Luke chapter 8, verse 16, he says, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed. All right, so the first one. Let's talk about the first one first. Why wouldn't you light a lamp and put it under a jar? Does anybody know what lamps were like in Jesus' day? Were they like ours where you just flip a switch and a light bulb comes on? How do they work? They had to put fire on them. All right, so fire. What happens if you put fire under a jar? What's going to happen to the fire? It's going to heat up the jar, but is the fire going to keep burning, or do you think it's going to go out? It's going gonna, it's gonna to go out. So when the fire is lit, the lamp is lit, right? And you have light in your room. But when it goes out, do you still have light? No. All right. So the first one, we don't want to put a lamp under a jar because if we put a lamp under a jar, then the lamp goes out and we don't have light in our room. The second one, he says, nobody puts a light under a lamp under a bed except for Noah and Eleanor. They put lamps under beds. <laughs> But it's because you have a tall bed, right? So you can still see you're in your room when there's a lamp under your bed. Jesus is talking about a really small bed. They're like almost all the way on the floor. So if you put a lamp under like a cushion on the floor, is it going to light up the room? Why not? The whole room, it it might set the bed on fire. That would be bad, right? So... The reason why Jesus says we put the lamp up on a stand, he says, is so that those who enter may see the light. So we want to use our lamp to light up the room. And what Jesus is talking about in this passage that we're going to see later as we walk through this passage is that the light that he's talking about is the word of God in us. And so he's saying that we've been given knowledge of who God is and what he's done for us. And that's not something that we should let burn out. That's not something that we should let be smothered by a bed. Instead, we should lift it up so that everybody can see it. We should make known the God that we know. And so kids, I would encourage you to go home and talk to your parents about what they learned from this passage about the word of God in us and who we're supposed to be as God's people, that we're supposed to be like those uh lamps that are on a stand lighting the world around us. let's let's pray and then we'll read our passage together this morning. God we thank you for your word um, and that in it you instruct us in some very simple ways that that things aren't always abstract and complicated, but sometimes you teach us through through simple uh, images and metaphors about who you are and about what you're doing in our world. God, we pray that today that you would would send your spirit to help us to understand your word together this morning, that as we look at this passage about a lamp on a stand, as we look at uh, your son interact with his, his earthly mom and brothers, and as we look at the, the calming of the storm, that... Uh, you would use your spirit to to challenge us and convict us, and that you would do the work of applying your word to our hearts, that we wouldn't be hearers only of the word, but that we would be doers, that we would put uh, our light on a stand, that we would uh, do the work of revealing who you are and what you've done to those around us. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, for your your life, death, and resurrection on our behalf, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you haven't already, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. We're going to read verses 16 uh, through 26 this morning, uh, 16 through 25 this morning. Again, that's Luke chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 16 through 25. We've already read verse 16, but we're going to read it again. No one, after lighting the lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water. And they were in danger, and they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. All right. so today, we've got these three sections, um, and they're all somewhat related. They're all talking about uh, the Word of God and our response to it, except for the, the calming of the storm. It's it's a little different. Um, but it's it's last week when we finished off, we saw the, the parable of the sower and Jesus' explanation for the parable of the sower. And today's passage is actually related to that. It's going to tie back in to what we saw last time in Luke, And so this first section, we've already talked about the first verse, this image that Jesus throws out of, of a lamp. And he says you, you put a lamp on a stand, you don't put it under a jar because it would burn out. You don't put it under a bed because it wouldn't serve its purpose. Instead, you put it on a stand, and you put it on a stand uh, so that those who enter may see the light. So the goal of putting our lamp on a stand is that those who enter would see the light. And he's going to explain this image in verse 17. He says, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So the question we should ask here is, is where has Jesus talked about something hidden or something secret? And the answer to that question is back in verse 10, when he talked about the purpose of the parables in our passage last time. Verse 10, he said, To you, that's to the disciples... It has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So we talked about how Jesus talked in parables some of the time so that his disciples would get the meaning of what he's saying, but that it would be hidden from some other people. Jesus didn't always talk in parables, but sometimes he talked in parables. And the purpose, he says, of him speaking in parables was so that some people wouldn't get what he was saying. But now he tells us that you put a lamp up on a stand so that what is hidden. Will be made manifest, and so that what is secret will be made known and come to light. So he's telling his disciples don't take your light and put it under a jar, don't take your light and put it under a bed. Instead, put it on a stand so that everybody can see the light. And he's talking about how these secrets of the kingdom of God that are given to the disciples, they're going to take those and put them like a lamp on a stand, so that those around them may get this hidden message that the disciples have received. What Jesus is telling the disciples here is he's telling the disciples to be the those who share what they know about who Jesus is and what he came to do. He's telling them to go out and spread the word. So we don't wait until the end of the gospels for Jesus to tell the disciples and tell other people about who he is and what he's doing. He's doing that now through this image about this lamp on a stand. We're to be like that also, right? We don't take the knowledge we have of who God is and what he's done, of, of his word that he's given us, and just keep it to ourselves and hide it. We're called to share it so that other people around us might benefit from what God has revealed to us, so that God might reveal himself to them as well. And he's going to give them, in verse 18, some application based on this. So he's telling them, right, take the knowledge you have of who he is and put it out there so everybody can see it. Then he says, verse 18, take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. So take care then. Then is also translated therefore in a lot of places. He's saying because of this image of a lamp on a stand, because of the fact that the disciples have been given this knowledge, because they're supposed to share that knowledge, then as a result of this, they should take care of how they hear. He's telling them and he's telling us to pay attention to how we hear the word of God. Notice here that he's not saying pay attention that you hear the word of God, right? Just hearing the word of God isn't enough. We need to pay attention to how we hear the word of God. He says, why? Because to the one who has, people who have knowledge of who God is, more is going to be given. But those who don't have it, even what they think that they have will be taken away. He's talking about the difference between truly knowing who God is and just thinking we know who God is. And I think that we see this kind of played out in the pages of the Gospels as the Pharisees, who are the people that should have known the most about God. They certainly knew the most about him, but it's clear that they don't know him because of how they respond to his son when he comes into the world. And I think that the danger for us as, as churched people who've studied theology, who read the Word, is that that's who we become. right? If, if you know, we were talking before service or after service, and you asked me about my wife. And I said, yeah. Her name is Jen. She has red hair. She's 5'3". She was born on November 28, 1980 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She went to college at Baylor. Those are the facts. Right? That's, that's Jen. You would think that I was very strange. <laughs> or that I've just you know, studied genealogy and, like, I've got all the details and think that that's enough. Or I could tell you things that I know about her that no one else does. So, for example... <laughs> she has this over-the-top, obnoxious fake laugh that... Uh, only comes out in specific situations like uh, a, a really, really bad pun will bring it out of her. And one of my favorite things to do as her husband is to aim for this laugh. Uh, and like that's, that is part of our relationship that we have through knowing one another. Not just knowing stuff about each other, but actually knowing who we are. Uh, and that's what our knowledge of God should be like. It's, it's a relational knowledge. It's not just about having all the facts and figures down so that we can tell somebody else about all the things we know about God. Now, now don't hear me saying that theology isn't valuable, right? Studying the word of God to know things about God, to know uh, theology is a good thing, and we should pursue that. But we should not pursue that outside of a relationship with him. Because that's when that knowledge actually matters and actually benefits us and the world around us. And so uh, we're called to know him. And he's telling us to pay attention to how we hear the word of God so that that's what our aim is. So that that's what our goal is. So that that's what's happening in us. Is that as we study the word of God, we're not just gaining facts about God, but we're growing in relationship with him. We're growing in relationship with his son. That's what we're called to do because he's telling us if if we don't do that, if we don't pay attention to how we hear, what we think we know will be taken away from us. But if we're growing in a relationship with him, the promise is that more will be given to us. We'll grow in the knowledge of him. This is a great, great promise. And then it kind of plays out in the next little section here. Jesus is teaching and we're told that his mother and brothers show up. And there's this crowd, and so they can't get to where Jesus is. So they're standing outside, and the word kind of travels through the crowd to Jesus. Hey, your mom and your brothers are outside. And the way that Jesus responds to them is kind of surprising. right? Everything that we know about Jesus, this kind of stands out as, as, as an odd response from him. He's told your mom and your brothers are outside. He answers, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, there's two ways we could take this. The first way we could take this is that Jesus is holding up his mom and his brothers as examples, right? My mom and my brothers, they're the ones that hear the word of God and do it. That's option one. Option two is that Jesus is saying that his true family, his true mothers, his two true brothers, are those who hear the word of God and do it. And Matthew kind of helps us out here. So if, if you look down at your Bibles... My Bible, right after verse 19, so you got the little number 19, there's a little R right there. And if I follow the R into the, the column or down to the bottom of the page, it tells me, Verses 19 through 21, see Matthew 12, 46 through 50, Mark 3, 31 through 35. And the reason why I'm pointing this out is because as we're reading our Bibles, if we come to a place where we maybe don't understand or we want more information, sometimes, especially in the Gospels, it points us to that same story through another author's lens. And so this is one of those cases where Matthew gives us a little more information than Luke does about this same story. So if you flip over to Matthew chapter 12, We read this. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told them, "Who is my mother and who are my brothers?" And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, "Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother." So Matthew, in his, his account of this, this situation with Jesus and his mother and brothers, he clears up that ambiguity. He makes it clear which one it is. It's not Jesus holding up his mom and his brothers. as the example of people who hear the word and do it. He's saying that his true family, his true brothers and sisters and mothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. We're called to be not only hearers of the word, but doers, like James says. And in doing that, And hearing the word and doing the word of God, we reveal ourselves to be those who are truly part of Jesus' family. So when we only hear the word and don't do it, we show that we're not really part of his family. We're somebody that's on the outside trying to get in. See, the reality is that hearing the word of God and not doing it isn't much better than not hearing the word of God. We, We think that it is. But the reality is that it's not. There's, there's some quote from Mark Twain where he says that, you know, like having all the books in the world and not reading them isn't, isn't better than not being able to read. Um, and I love that because it's encouraging people to read books. I don't like the reality that it's not much better to hear the Word of God and not doing it than not hearing it because that, that stings. Because sometimes I want to coast. Sometimes I want to read the Word or hear the word, and it just be an intellectual or academic exercise, and not affect me where I live, but I need to be both a hearer and a doer, because that's how I grow in a relationship with God. It's not by just memorizing facts about him. It's by reading the word and putting it into practice by the work of the Holy Spirit in me and in you as we grow in grace together. We need to be not only hearers, but doers of the word. The next little section here is the calming of the storm. And so Jesus, right, he gets in a boat. They're going to go over to the other side of this lake, which is more like a sea. And as they're going across, Jesus lies down to take a nap. And as he's taking a nap, this storm picks up. And it says that the boat is filling with water The disciples are afraid, and so they go to Jesus. They say, we're in danger. And we need to remember here that a third of the disciples are fishermen. Right? So they've, they've been in boats. They've spent their lives in boats. They've been in storms before. So these aren't just a bunch of people that have never been out on the water that a storm pops up and they freak out. Right? A good chunk of these people know what they're doing. So when they come to Jesus and they say, we are in danger, we're perishing, Like we're about to die right now, they're serious. They wake him up. Jesus gets up. He rebukes the wind and the raging waves. And they cease. Luke tells us there was a calm. Right? There's this, this moment in your house when the power goes off. Like, it's usually like a split second before the power goes off and the kids start screaming. That there's this silence. Like, you're, you don't normally think of your house as, as noisy. Right? The people in it are noisy. But like when the refrigerator shuts off and the AC or the heater shuts off and everything, all the electronics and their little bitty hums that we don't notice, there's this stillness in our house when the power goes out. That's like what happens here. It just goes from crazy cacophony of noise and sound and wind and waves to just stillness in an instant as Jesus rebukes the wind and rebukes the waves. And then he rebukes the disciples. says to them, where is your faith? And so they respond poorly to the storm, but they respond rightly to what Jesus does. Look at their response. They were afraid. They're filled with fear and awe at Jesus. They marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Their response is, who is this guy? Right? Who does these things? They're still, even though they've been with Jesus, even though they've been walking with Jesus, even though they've been eating and sleeping and drinking and spending all their time with Jesus, they are still coming to grips with who he is. They don't know him yet. They're growing in that knowledge as he's revealing more and more of himself to them. They're shocked that the winds and the waves obey him, and, and, and we're shocked. I think there's two ways that we should respond to this little section. The first response is that we should recognize that the way we respond to it is, is bad. I think normally when we think about this passage, it's that, you know, Jesus calms the storm. He can calm this storm. He can calm any storm. And so that means that whatever you're facing in your life, whatever I'm facing in my life, Jesus can, can take away those storms. And, and he can but to understand the passage in only that way, we miss the rebuke that he levels at the disciples. Right? He criticizes them for not having faith before he calms the storm. Right? They respond well after he calms the storm. The issue is that before, they didn't trust that Jesus was going to keep them safe in the storm. I'm mean, like, this... I like Imagine if the story went the way the disciples thought it was going to go. Right? We, The Bible ends in Luke 8. Right? The, the God of all creation has been... You know, weaving this narrative across thousands of years, multiple authors. The Bible tells this huge story of redemption about this Messiah that's coming to the world. Jesus is here. He starts announcing his kingdom. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's casting out demons. He's healing people. And then he dies in a boat. (laughs) The disciples should have had more faith. The Son of God's not going out like this. He's criticizing them because they didn't trust him even when the storm was there. Even when the winds and the seas were raging, they should have trusted him. And the call is for us to do the same. Right? We shouldn't just have faith that God will take away whatever difficulties we're facing. We should hope that he does that and pray that he does that. But also have faith in him, enough trust in him, enough belief in him that he is who he says he is even if the storm doesn't cease that he will get us through and that he will grow our faith and sanctify us, grow us in him as we progress through even the darkest of storms. That's the first way we should respond to this passage. Trusting Jesus even in the midst of storms, even if the storm doesn't end. The second way I think we should respond to this passage is that I think that we give this miracle a little too much credit. I think that we, we look at this passage and think, man, this is amazing that Jesus does this. But I, I think it's less amazing than we often think that it is. And like, I get that that's an, an odd thing for me to say. And so hear, hear me out. Jesus here is, is calming the winds and the waves. But if we read scripture, right, we hear story after story, page after page of God telling his creation to do something, and it does it. Right? The wind and waves always listen to their creator. The trees, the hills, the mountains. God's creation does what he says. There's only one part of God's creation which continually and consistently rebels against him and disobeys him. That's us. Right? We're, we're the ones. We're the parts of his creation that do not do what he says. And so we should see this passage and we should marvel and wonder that Jesus does command the winds and the waves and they're silent. They listen to him. They obey him. But what should cause us more marvel and more wonder and more awe at who God is is that he tells us what to do. And we do it sometimes. We're the people that reject him. We're the part of his creation that disobeys him. And so the fact that he is working in us, the fact that his grace is transforming us to the extent that we want to do what he says should cause us to respond in praise and worship at who he is and what he's doing. So I'm really not saying that this isn't wonderful. It is wonderful. It is miraculous. But I think we should also recognize how miraculous it is that he's moving us as people towards those who want to obey him. Who is this then that even men and women like us obey him? We're called not only to be hearers of the word, but those that do what it says. And the ways in which we do what it says is because his grace is transforming us. He is at work in us. He's causing us to be those who are enabled to walk in obedience. One of the great promises of the new covenant that Jesus inaugurated with his blood was that he put his spirit within us. He put his law in us. He, he causes us to walk in his statutes. We're at a place where we can walk in obedience, where we can obey and where we can not just hear the word, but do it as well. And so I hope that as we walk away from this passage this morning, that because of his grace, we would be motivated to be those who obey. Right? That we wouldn't hear the word and do what the word says out of guilt or obligation or out of willpower but that instead we, should, we would recognize that he is miraculously, supernaturally at work in us any time we respond to his word with obedience. That's something that he is producing in us. It's not something that we're able to do on our own. And that should cause us to both celebrate who he is and what he's doing and also want to do it more. And so uh, I'm going to pray and then Jason is going to come and lead us in the Lord's Supper. God, I thank you that you are God and that you are sovereign and that you are in control. That you control the wind and the waves when they're still and that you control them when they're raging. God, I pray that you, by your spirit, because of your grace, would, would increase our faith that you would enable us to to trust you, to have faith in you in the midst of the storm. That whatever we're facing right now or whatever uh, we'll face in the the days and weeks and, and years to come, that we would trust you even in the midst of trial and suffering. That we would pray and ask for it to be taken away but that it wouldn't shake our faith if you don't but that by your grace we would grow in the midst of the storm. I pray that you would help us to to respond rightly when you do miraculous things like still the seas and the waves and the winds. But I pray that you would also give us eyes to see what you're doing in us and in those around us that we would rightly celebrate the miraculous work of you causing us to obey you. That we would see evidence of your kingdom going forth and spreading and advancing in our lives and in the lives of those around us as we stop being those who reject you and rebel against you, but instead more and more hear your word and Do what it says. I thank you that right now, in our service together, we have a chance to both hear your word and to do it. We can put it into practice in the way in which we respond to your word this morning uh, in song and by taking the Lord's Supper together. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.